Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor of DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrello. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 49. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. And this is Don. And we are bringing you the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as comic reviews from the past two weeks. And in this episode, we will be having a special discussion about the future of the Bat Books. We once called it the State of the Bat, but we are just going to call it the Bat Future now. So what do we think is going to be happening in the books in the coming months, based on the solicitations, based on interviews, based on different announcements that we've heard what's our predictions for what's going to happen so we'll get into that after comic news so let's start off with comic news what have you got for me and the very first thing we have is from august 9th it was announced that Jacques will be joining scott snyder on detective comics starting this november obviously based on the information that the source announced it seemed like scott snyder really wanted to work with Jacques. and ever since san diego they've been talking and trying to figure out a way for it to work and it turns out they figured out a way for it to work I love that cover that's in the new story, the one that says the Black Mirror with uh, Batman's silhouette and the bats flying from underneath him. It's a really awesome cover. He's a, he's a good artist. Um, I, I like him. He's, I think it's one of the parts of the new news of Batman where I'm, I'm not apathetic towards. I'm not excited about it, but, you know, it will be fun to see. Looks like a slow night, Alfred. When I finish patrolling this area, I'm heading home. Excellent timing, Master Bruce. I've just taken dinner out of the oven. Looks like trouble at Tarnower Financial, Alfred. I won't be home early after all. <sighs> Please don't take this the wrong way, sir, that your goose is cooked. So moving into the next thing we've got is on August 10th. The LA Times had a chance to talk with Grant Morrison about what we can expect from his upcoming Batman Inc. series coming this November. Morrison reiterated a lot of his same comments from San Diego Comic-Con about when Bruce returns is going to be all about branding. He mentioned that the first 12 issues will feature Bruce Wayne traveling the world to team up with various heroes. He will train them and bring them into the Batman Inc. Morrison also mentioned that Night Square will be two of the characters Batman teams and trains. Another hero is El Gacho, the Argentinian Batman equivalent. Also, in this announcement with the LA Times, we did see the new Batman Batsuit, which was designed by David Finch with Grant Morrison, but uh, in fact, they bring back the Yellow Oval. I'm happy about that. I've always liked the Yellow Oval. It was kind of um, something that you can use as a logo for Batman, and what I liked in the old days was, before he had the Yellow Oval... Then when he had it, if you saw him in like a flashback or something when he didn't have the yellow oval, that was a sign that you were looking at an earlier story. And they got rid of it after No Man's Land, and I personally think that they did it because they got rid of it in the cartoon a year or two before, and the comics loved to copy what the cartoon did. But it's not like it was a bad change or whatever, but I really like having the yellow oval around, and... Batman isn't like Wonder Woman or Superman, where if you change the costume, it's like, oh, Lord, oh, no, they got to change it back. Because Batman's costume has had minor changes 
since Detective Issue 27. You know, the gloves have changed size. The He's had the trunks. He's lost the trunks. So it's not like they're taking away Batman's classic costume, like some people are going to wind up saying, because Batman has not been in his original costume for years. So I like this one. I like seeing the yellow oval back. This, someone even said this reminds them of how he looked after Prodigal when he came back. I like the yellow oval. I think that uh, I honestly think that it's another subtle way of DC scraping the barrel of the '60s or Silver Age kind of comics. I really think that's what they're kind of going with it. But it's not a bad thing at all. I kind of kind of miss the trunks. I kind of think he looks really really weird, just <laughs> underpantsless. Um, he just has like he, it looks like he's wearing like a kind of a flight suit. And uh, there are some images. I think the Andy Kubert picture where he looks like really the gray on his costume was really really light, and I don't, I don't really like that. But um, if you still look at this costume, you, you can still see it and say, okay, well that's Batman. But it's okay. I like the yellow oval. I don't like the lack of the underpants, but uh, it, it, they kind of bounce each other out. The yellow oval returning is kind of interesting. It's almost as if we're getting like a rebirth of Batman per se. Think about it. The last time we saw the yellow oval, or well, we saw the yellow oval coming out was during time when the late 80s with Batman 1989, the movie, we saw it with uh, Batman Dark Knight Returns. So, I mean, we, we saw these different forms of the yellow oval around then, and then it was basically the iconic symbol that we all know that uh, basically was the symbol for Batman throughout the 90s. So, interestingly enough, Batman comes back from the so-called dead, and this is what he has. So, I think it'll be interesting to see what it does. I'm interested to see if uh, they actually address why they're taking, or why the yellow oval's coming back after he returns, or if it's just going to be, oh, I have a new uniform. So, moving into the next thing we've got, on August 11th, there was an interview done with Judd Winnick by Newsarama, talking about his upcoming story in Superman Batman. This story covers the time when Superman finds out about the death of Bruce Wayne. So, we're going to cover some of the highlights. I will read from Newsarama, and Josh will read for Judd Winnick. Judd, Superman Batman number 76 falls within continuity, but a while ago. How did this issue come about? I was originally going to do a story on Superman, Batman. Whether or not I had talked about this was supposed prologue to the whole story. But in the boring sausages made story, when everything went digital with Generation Loss, we lost about a month, deadline-wise. So I suddenly didn't have a whole lot of time. My lead time just evaporated, so my Batman, Batman had to be script for a while. But I already into doing the prologue, and this was something I felt like we really need to address, which is Superman's reaction to Batman's death. It's hard to believe nobody's done that. Did you guys go back and check? We did. We asked the back group, the Superman group, and nobody actually did the moment or moments when Superman is processing the death of Bruce Wayne, which seemed really intriguing to me. So that's what this is. It's a very, very driven story where Superman Clark Kent is dealing with the loss of one of his close friends and allies, and how it's about Dick Grayson now become a man. All these things got thrown into the I'm very pleased with it. It's a wonderfully heart-wrenching story. Alright, so the next thing we've got is also on August 11th. Now, we don't cover Batman the Brave and the Bold as far as, you know, reviewing it on the site, but we do, in fact, would talk about it when it comes to news. Now, what's interesting about this next news bit is that uh, back in, back last month, when the solicitations for October hit, one question came to mind. Why is the Batman Brave and the Bold comic series being canceled? Well, we're just about a month later and there's still, still no real answer. 
but it's revealed that the current Batman the Brave and the Bold series has been cancelled. I guess it only takes about a month to get a new series started. The brand new shiny number one. Writer Shali Fishend and artist Rick Burchett will team up starting November with a new series entitled The All-New Batman the Brave and the Bold. The first issue will feature Batman teaming with Superman and issue two will have Batman teaming with Captain Marvel. This announcement leaves just one new question. Why cancel a series only to reboot it only one month later with a slightly changed name? If you guys want to know how I feel about this, listen to the podcast from about four or five months ago when I when I first learned that Birds of Prey was being relaunched. I just find it interesting. I mean, at least with Birds of Prey, there was almost a year in between. They don't even put a year in between these. It's literally the next month. I want someone to go to the next con that DC goes to and ask the question, Hey, so what was the point of canceling Batman Brave and the Bold only to bring it back a month later? It just doesn't make any sense. So the next thing we've got is on August 13th, the source posted up an announcement saying that Dustin Wen will be joining Brian Q. Miller in November on Batgirl. Wen will be replacing artist Lee Garbett, who has worked on the book since its first launched. Gwen's art will start with issue number 15, which, as I mentioned, will hit stores November 2010. We at the Batman universe, I, I think I can speak for all of us, we, we love Dustin Wen, right? Yes. But... I don't feel that his style suits the tone of the Batgirl book. For something like Streets of Gotham or Detective Comics or any other title, I feel that it fits better. For Batgirl, there's, it's, it's a different kind of book. It's a different kind of tone. Yeah, I didn't know where you were going with that comment, but uh, I think I'd probably have to agree with you. The thing is, Dustin Wen's art is a little bit gritty. It's a little bit... He uses a lot of watercolors. I don't think it's the type of thing that you would expect to see when reading back the garbage stuff is good i mean i could see some other people doing the art for background and saying ah this makes sense dustin when i mean i love his art but it just doesn't seem like his art would fit with what goes on in that book i think dustin wins a good enough artist to kind of not change his style but have a style fit to the story but it's definitely something that we'll have to see if he tries to do that because right now i think a lot of people who are fans of his, I don't think anybody's saying, oh, that's a win, small will suck or anything, but they're, they're saying, we're not sure about it because it's totally anathema to what the story has already been established for the past year. I mean, I'm looking at the latest issue of Batgirl right now and imagining Dustin Wynn's really kind of stylized look on it that I've seen in Streets of Gotham Detective Comics, it's hard. I mean, I, sh- I really struggle imagining what that's going to look like with um, with Miller still being on the book, but um, it'll, it'll certainly be something to look out for. And maybe we'll be surprised when it happens, and I'll be like, wow, this is a combination that I never would have thought of, but this is, like, really awesome. To the Batmobile. Let's go. 
Alright, so the next thing we've got, August 13th, the source announced that Batwoman will kick off in November with an Issue Zero. Issue Zero will be a one-shot that will prepare us for what will come when the series launches in February 2011. So we can look forward to that since now we at least have some sort of release date. Now I'm sure that could be obviously postponed as Batman Robin has been for the past couple months, but... Okay, when I count... To ten, I don't go zero, one, two, three, four, five. I go one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> I don't understand why they just wouldn't have had an issue called Batwoman. If it's a one shot and that's what they're intending, why make it a zero? Why just not make it Batwoman or I Batwoman? No, I have no or like, idea. I mean, they could have they could have done a thousand different things. They could have done Batwoman Begins. Who knows? Yeah. Start the comic book with issue one. How do you figure that? Alright, so the next thing we've got is on August 18th, Comic Book Resources posts up an interview with Paul Cornell. And as we know, Paul Cornell will be writing the upcoming Night and Square miniseries this October. So we covered some of uh, the highlights from his past interviews before, and Josh had a hard time understanding exactly what it was. So we have to have Josh read for Paul Cornell again, and uh, Donovan will read for Comic Book Resources. So now that your dossier is complete... What do you know about Britain's dynamic duo? What are you most looking forward to exploring with them? Denight and Squire are Britain's central superheroes, legacy figures that are held in high esteem by the British hero community. I particularly like Cyril's stoic awkwardness and the way the practical, straightforward young Burl, with her young communication skills, helps him through some complicated situations. They've got a really nice brother and sister relationship going, and we're going to get into that. Can you share any details about the miniseries story-wise? Does the story set anything up for a second miniseries or an ongoing series? There are six one-off stories, which become connected towards the end. The first three include the tale of the London pub where superheroes and supervillains have met under a truce every month, going back centuries, and the attack of the Morris Men, a bunch of West Country cider-drinking fascist ninjas, and the Richard III Society cloning their favorite monarch, who turns out not to be the lovely king they envision, but instead exactly like Shakespeare's villain, and he talks in ibiomic pentameter, and he clones an army of the worst British monarchs, and they set about conquering the country again, largely through means of social networking sites. I can't quite believe they're letting me do this either, and no, we don't set up anything further. I, I was not interested in this series before. I did not want to read it. I thought it was a stupid idea to do a Night and Square miniseries. But after these two interviews, I have to pick this up just to see how this thing's going to play out. I mean, I really hope this does well. Only because I think if we got, you know, if they actually got an ongoing, it, I know it's far-fetched, but if they actually got an ongoing and it was this craziness every single month, I think that would be like something interesting in comparison to what we get every single month right now. I agree, okay. but I just can't imagine, like, I like Night Squire fine, but these are like D-list characters. I can't imagine anybody like buying characters that, that stem from a, a Silver Age one-off story. Well, what do you think of their villains that they're, they're basically Z-list? They don't even exist. This is awesome. Richard III. We'll see what the truth is. All right, so moving on to the last bit of news, August 19th, Newsarama talked to Tony Daniel about his return to Batman as a writer and artist starting in November. Let's go through some of the highlights. Donovan will read for Newsarama, and I will read for Tony Daniel. What can you tell us about the story you're telling in the beginning of November? I can't really say a whole lot except for that we have some new villains coming to town and taking root in Gotham's Chinatown. Lots of action, lots of intrigue, some puzzles to solve, and a special guest star I'm happy to use, I Ching. 
Will the supporting cast and settings stay the same? If not, how does it change? If so, anything happening to make it fresh after Bruce's return? Uh, we'll see a little more Catgirl and Catwoman, but just a bit. I want this to be Batman's book and not have him share the stage so much. Any new characters? Yes, but I'm still making sure I like their names. Mysterious Chinese businessman and his daughter come to Gotham. A couple of new bad guys still working on those guys' names, but they're twins and they share the same mind. It can be tough because you want you want it to be right, but I still have a month or so before I really need to cement the names down. Tony Daniel seems like a nice guy, but his his writing doesn't really endear me to his Batman run. I mean, I'm wondering if Tony Daniel has jumped the shark. I am Catwoman. Alright, so that's all the news. Let's get into this special discussion that we're going to have. It is in relation to Grant Morrison's upcoming project, Batman Inc., and what are thoughts about that and the future of the Bat books in general. We're not going to go into every single book. We're just going to go into, you know, the things that they've talked about, the new stuff coming, some of the new writers and artists working on different projects, that kind of stuff. Alright, so the first thing I want to bring up is my thoughts of exactly how this Batman Inc. thing is going to happen. Okay, so basically, back at San Diego was the first time we heard about this uh, Batman Inc. situation. There wasn't a whole lot of information that was given, except for Yannick Duquet will be doing the art, Graham Morrison will obviously be writing it, and it would start in November. Besides that, they really didn't give us a whole lot of information. Now... With this interview with the LA Times on August 10th, he just basically reiterated the same things. The, what he did mention is that another hero, El Gacho, the, uh, will be featured and Night and Square will be featured as well. This is my thought process. What seems to be occurring is that Morrison is bringing back the club of heroes that we saw back in the day. We know that there's a bunch of heroes throughout the world in various countries that are influenced by Batman and I have a feeling what Morrison's going to do is he's going to travel the world He's going to take Batman, he's going to travel the world with having him train and create different Batmen around the world. Making Batman the urban myth that he once was at a point. The fact that there can be many Batmen all over the world at the same time means that, you know, the one, it falls into place the name Batman Inc. because it becomes like a franchise. And you got to remember, Grant Morrison kept using the word franchise. We're going to franchise. He's going to brand the name Bat. He kept saying that over and over again at Comic. Now that falls into if it is entirely a group of different Batmen, what does that mean? Well, we do know that the Club of Heroes consists of heroes from Australia, France, Sweden, Italy, and obviously the UK. Back in the Silver Age, this was known as the Batmen of all nations. And all of these different heroes, including El Gacho from Argentina, including Knight from uh, the UK, included all of these people, and they're all essentially, they all have their little sidekicks like Robin. It's basically just a different take on Batman. Nobody can deny that Knight and Squire is basically Batman Robin. They're just in UK. Yeah, I'm curious about the execution of this because, well, you you can't say, a lot of people say, well, Batman at his core concept is a loner, but that went out the window so long ago because we got Huntress, we got Oracle, we got 
Oracle will be Oracle will be getting all these phone calls. I hope that it's a little more simple than just like everybody being a Batman, like Batman going around the world and saying, "Oh, this guy's pretty strong. Let's give him a Batman costume." I'm hoping that they <laughs> might use either established characters or, you know, just it might be fun if they Grant Morrison it up and like actually use like obscure character D from this 1954 story. I'd accept that more than just Batman, like, saying, wow, that Olympic rock climber, you know, it was awesome. He's going to be the Batman of California. I think well, that my, is, Oh, Well, it's funny that you said that because, you know, my thought is, interestingly enough, the Batman of all, nat- uh, of all nations, which is known as, more currently, Morrison renamed it in Batman 667 through 669, Club of Heroes. The different people that are in this story, I mean, this originated in 1955 in Detective Comics number 215. And they had the El Gacho, which was the Argentinian one, the Legionnaire, which was Italy, the Musketeer from France, the Wingman, they had the Ranger, obviously the Knight, we had Man of Bats, which is a Native American version of Batman. I mean, we saw these characters before in a Morrison story, and I think because the fact that we know that he's going to be traveling the world training people, no offense to the DC Universe, but a good majority of the DC Universe is located in... In the United States, it's not really worldwide. So I would assume they would hold, you know, somewhat existing characters. But at the same time, I could see them doing this route where it's existing characters, but just lesser known. I'm wondering if one of the existing characters is going to be somebody who um, we asked about at Comic Con because this series is coming out in November. When I asked a question over when we would see Cassandra Kane again. After silence from all the panels, Mike Martz finally, like, said hesitantly that we'll see her in November. So, will she be one of the Batman of all nations with boobs? I really don't know how to go with this. If it's Grant Morrison's idea, and it's funky and weird and, and kind of fun but dark in a Batman and Robin kind of way, it'll be fun. But as much as I agree that Batman, because like, in this interview he, re- he reiterates how Batman can be interpreted in so many ways and how he's not this pigeonholed Dark Avenger that people like to lazily put him in, which I totally agree with. But at the same time, there are certain things about the character which I think really go against um, natural convention, if that's the right word. I mean, I don't, I just don't see Bruce Wayne going around. The image I have is, is Bruce Wayne saying, hi, I'm Batman, here's my card. No, Bruce Wayne, got, a.k.a. Batman in Gotham City. I mean, obviously that's probably not what's going to happen, but with, like, the changed costume and this idea that there's only Batman everywhere. It really guts at my perception of a Batman who's, you know, you know, I, I stick in Gotham City and all that. And I've only, I've only had a number of years to read Batman comic books and to get a certain perception of him. So my perception is not a wholly correct perception or even, you know, a wholly unified perception. But at the same time, there's something about this that's nagging at me that's saying, is this really something that Batman would do? And I guess the obvious answer is to wait and see how he does it. Yeah, we don't know a lot about this yet, but I think we'll lose some of Batman's uniqueness if there are 30 Batman running around, and even, like, different Batman in different titles. Like, there's speculation that one title might be focusing on Dick Grayson as Batman, and one title will be focusing on Bruce Wayne and etc. Then you're going to have to do something to make Bruce Wayne special and stand out among these other ones. I mean, this is like this is like that scene at the beginning of The Dark Knight where he's chastising those other Batman. It's like, for starters, I don't wear hockey pants. I think that's the problem. I think that's I think you have a perception of this is 
Batman hiring someone to replace him or like take over for him for whatever amount of time. I don't think that's that at all. I think what it is is Batman has somebody who he can rely on who's part of his like inner circle. I think he realizes that he can't rely on everybody. Like the thing is, what you got to think of it like this: he's thinking on two different levels. He's thinking on the level of, well, when I said I was when I died, I didn't want there to be another Batman. Well, Dick Grayson didn't do what I said, and he ended up being Batman. It ended up working out pretty well, and it didn't matter that it wasn't me being Batman. Batman can move, you know. Batman can exist after I'm not around. So. Why don't I set up these so-called franchises and have different people basically, you know, do what I do and use my name? I mean, crap, Superman does it. How many people have that stupid S on his, on their on their chest? That's a direct quote from Bruce Wayne. No, I, I know. I understand that it's not him being replaced. I understand that he's sort of like hiring other Batman to be around while he's still while he still is Batman. Having Batman all around the having Batman perpetuate the idea that Batman's everywhere around the world. It's kind of like a megalomania to me. I don't think Bruce Wayne said, you know, one day I'm going to take over the world as Batman and guard everywhere. He's, I'm so fixed with the idea that Bruce Wayne wants to guard Gotham and only Gotham and have the superheroes take care of their parts of the world instead of hiring people to become Batman. It's, it's a lot more grandiose and a lot more, to, to, for lack of a better phrase, megalom- megalomaniacal than I see Bruce Wayne ever becoming. From, But, I mean, this is also lead to possible storylines where, oh, one of the Batman became evil uh, for some reason, and now people think that Ben's a bad guy. Bruce Wayne has to reclaim his his reputation. I mean, I can see that happening, but it better be a damn good story is what I'm saying. I, after Morrison leaves, because Morrison's not going to be on Batman forever. I said you know, that's forever. That's the thing. I, he, <laughs> he, keeps, he keeps saying that he's, he's you know, this is going to be his last thing, his last part, and then all of a sudden he comes up with another part. He just keeps doing this. <laughs> I don't think the guy can do anything but Batman, honestly. After he, after he like, leaves, he'll, he'll like, like universal tales. A- after he leaves, the, like nobody else is going to be able to maintain this concept, and there's going to be n- not a reboot in the sense of all the titles are going to go back to number one. God, I hope not. But there's going to yeah. be a reboot with the status quo. Like somebody's, you know, some editor is going to be. We've taken Batman so far away from what he's supposed to be. We need to get Batman back to basics, you know. And it, there's going to be and a mess. That, that, re- smell, that smells like Marvel. Yeah, I know. It's it's good. we're going to get like a Tom Brevoort style manifesto about you know all the things that make Batman great and how we've gotten so far away from them. Which I don't mind them actually trying new things for that very reason because you know so long you get stuck with these in this box of what Batman is and what he's supposed to be. I'm not sure if this is the thing to try, but. <laughs> It's kind right, of a hesitant right. wait and see, but like one eyebrow is like higher than the other right now, and in puzzlement. I mean, it's like, it, and also we were related to the other characters. Like back in the '90s, you had, you had the Batman books, which uh, encompassed Nightwing, Birds of Prey, Robin. I mean, and then As when, we, when you think about those Azrael, when you think about those characters, can you see Tim Drake and Dick Grayson saying, "Okay, well, what, what I'm going to do for the rest of my life is, you know." Act as Batman's lieutenant and, you know, help run the world as, you know, one of Batman's boys. I mean, it's one thing if they're in Gotham, but to do that globally is is really, really weird. Because, like, what, what happens if there's another, like, crisis-level event? You have Superman, the Green Lantern Corps, Wonder Woman, the Outsiders, and everybody. Then you have Batman and his 100-plus Batboys. Right? <laughs> What, 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 well, what, 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 you, 
everybody keeps forgetting, though. Think about the last part of Batman 700. Batman's sitting at a computer. You know, we know it's not Bruce Wayne, but Damien's sitting at a computer, and there are Batman all over the world. Oh, my it's God. It's the same idea. I never made that connection. All right, so that's pretty much Batman Inc. talk. Let's go into some of these upcoming new series that they're starting up and the new creators that are working on some of these issues. So Batman goes back to Tony Daniel. He's going to be writing and doing the art. Uh, Scott Snyder on Detective Comics with uh, Jock as the artist. Batgirl stays Brian Q. Miller but moves to Dustin Wen. Red Robin, we haven't heard any changes, so it'll still be Marcus Twove, Fabian Nasiza. Cool. Azrael will probably be canceled. <laughs> no, it's not. We know it's not canceled, but uh, it'll still have David Hine and uh, Gilliam March will be doing the art. Streets of Gotham, still Paul Dini and Dustin Wynn, as far as we know. Okay. No announcements about that. Uh, except for, <laughs> we'll see about except that. For, except for, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, just a month ago, just one month ago, Paul Dini was saying, well, I'm writing about a story about a Hush and uh, his history with the Wayne family. And here we are, August. The issue has absolutely no Paul Dini in it whatsoever. Which, whatever, I'm not, I didn't really find the first issue of this story are really all mind-boggling. But uh, at the same time, now he's not even in the book at all. It's not even like somebody wa- came in and, like, took over. The co-feature completely, like, took over that book. That's that's what happened. We'll get into that issue later on. But David Finch will have his own book, Batman The Dark Knight. He'll be ready and drawing that. We'll have Grant Morrison moving on to Batman Inc. with Yannick Paquette. Batman Robin will be Peter Tom. Massey and Patrick Leeson. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things going on all over the place. Hoping Dan DiDio comes off Outsiders around that time. I don't see it happening, and I don't see us covering it. <laughs> really, besides that, I mean, it's ridiculous how many new series are coming out. We got the addition of Batman Inc. and Batman the Dark Knight, and then on top of that, you know, whatever one-shots they decide to throw out here and there. We know in November there's at least one one-shot that's a Catwoman one. People always talk about Marvel flooding the market with stuff, especially around the time movies come out with... The big talk was around Wolverine when Wolverine came out with his movie a couple, you know, a year ago. How they flooded the market with Wolverine stuff. You know, I gotta say, there's not even a Batman movie coming out and there's at least 12 different series going on. It's ridiculous. I find this quite interesting because in November we'll also still have Red Hood going on. We'll also still have Batman Beyond. We'll still have Batman Odyssey. So, I mean, literally, there's going to be, like, 18 different books that month. And Finding Gear is going to relaunch in January. No, no, you forgot. That's when they said, you know, Kevin Smith is actually worse than Paul Dini. Kevin Smith and Paul Dini are going to team up on a miniseries drawn by Joe Casada. <laughs> it will come out once every four years. You're going to be nightmares tonight. Alright, so that's going to be the end of the discussion. Let's get into our comic reviews, and we're going to start off with, with Batgirl. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Batgirl number 13, and on the cover we have Clayface um, doing some love and touching squeeze-in with Stephanie, and she's saying, Oh, that's just gross! As she's being encased in his muddy clay, with the blurb on the title, Men maniacal mud slinging and oh yes the first page it's really intense close up on stephanie's face 
you're good, better than the rest. Close up on her opponent's face. You can't think your kung fu is better than mine. As her narration says, don't know that we're going to make it out of this one, Steph. All eyes on you. No margin of error. And the next panel, we pull back to see the full picture, and it's a ping pong tournament? Yes, that's right. It's the second semester at Gotham University. And because she has no classes on Tuesday, Stephanie likes to hang around and kick butt in ping pong. And apparently this is the only interesting thing that the students of Gotham University ever do because she's really into it. And the students that are all watching, they don't look like people that normally watch ping pong games. Like there's this one guy with the goatee. He's practically mesmerized. Before we get to find out if her opponent, who pulls out a double paddle, will beat her once and for all, Stephanie excuses herself. <laughs> to answer her special communicator. Stephanie answers thinking that it's Oracle, but it turns out it's Proxy. Apparently, Stephanie has been answering the phone expecting Oracle quite often, and whenever it's Proxy, it gets a little embarrassing. So Proxy sends Stephanie after a suspected wife murderer over in the bank district. The police are chasing the guy, and this guy is white trash to the mask, complete with the, like, John Goodman, Circa Roseanne style shirts. The police aren't having a lot of luck against him. Detective Gage catches up with him on the roof, but he mentions something about... Detective Gage says, you know, look, I know that you lost your wife, and this apparently sets both of them off, kind of, because Detective Gage is trying to be empathetic with him, but this guy's not hearing it. And we'll get to the end of the issue, what's going on with Detective Gage. This guy points at Detective Gage, and then Clay shoots out of him, because, yes, it's Clayface. And he pushes him off of the roof to what would have been his death if Batgirl hadn't caught him. And the title splash page, which looks like a cross between Amazing Fantasy issue 15 and Detective Comics issue 27. They talk about the cliches of the damsel in distress. Proxy interrupts Batgirl flirting with Detective Gage, teasing her in the process to inform her that Clayface has moved to Gotham Bank and Trust. Proxy tries to lock the bank down, but realizes that she doesn't have Oracle's mad hacking skills. Batgirl initiates the lockdown herself by just going to the security computer and pressing the lockdown button, but apparently, if you dress up as a bat and go into a bank and lock the bank down, the people inside are going to think that you're robbing them. She turns on her infrared goggles, and it turns out that Clayface isn't even in the bank until somebody reports that the manager is down below in the vault. And the name of the manager is the same person as the dead wife, as the woman that was reported murdered earlier in the issue. So Batgirl realizes that this is Clayface, catches up with him in the vault, and yes, it's the Basil Carlo version of Clayface, and Batgirl is not doing well against him. The fight moves to the lobby of the bank where Gage has caught up with them. Clayface is then fighting Batgirl, but now Clayface transforms in the Batgirl, and Detective Gage is like, oh my god, this is such a cliche! And they're like, shoot her! No, shoot her! Which, I'm so glad that they had Detective Gage point out that this was a cliche, because if he didn't, I would be rolling my eyes right now because this is done in every single tv show with the shapeshifter so stephanie says shoot me i'll bleed and this causes gage to shoot the other batgirl revealing that it's clayface using the fire sprinkler system and her ice battering which she used to freeze damien a dozen issues ago Clayface is frozen. Batgirl reaches out for a high five, but Detective Gage denies her. Gage says that he trusts Batgirl, which makes her squeaky. Yes, I'm I'm not joking. This is dialogue in a comic book story. Here, let, let me let me read it for you. Okay, folks. Actual dialogue in Batgirl issue 13. And because I trust you for whatever reason. Stephanie, don't you dare. Batgirls don't. <laughs> okay, fine. Squeak! actual dialogue from a Batgirl story. Turns out Carlo wanted a picture of his dead wife from the bank vault. Aw, he wasn't after the money after all. The villain had a super deep motivation. But apparently mentioning dead wives makes Detective Gage walk away all sad, which ends the issue. 
This is how I'll always remember you. Surrounded by winter, forever young, forever beautiful. Rest well, my love. Alright, so that's going to take us into Batman Beyond number three. This obviously was written by Anna Beechin with art by Ryan Benjamin. We start off right where we ended the issue last time with Hush attacking Calendar Man and Batman kind of coming in between them. Hush reveals that he knows that Bruce Wayne is the original Batman and this, in fact, is not Bruce Wayne. He ends up setting a trap that kills Calendar Man. Terry ends up having this uh, fight over the... uh, Com units with Bruce Wayne about how he hasn't gotten very much sleep and he's working on basically no sleep at all and because of that he's going to end up getting himself killed because of it. He uh, turns the uh, turns the comm unit off and decides he's going to go take off. We see a little exchange between one of the researchers at Cadmus Labs and Amanda Waller where they basically say this is not going to fall back on Cadmus Labs because of what's going on with this Hush character. We then see Terry McGinnis at his house, and he's shoving his face full of spaghetti and telling his family that he enjoys seeing them, despite the fact that he's always working for Bruce Wayne. He then goes and sees his girlfriend Dana, who also complains about not being able to spend enough time with him, and he then says, well, I'm going to try to make some time for you. Terry goes back to the Batcave, where he finds finds out what uh, Bruce Wayne's been hiding, and it's robots that are Batman. And basically, Bruce Wayne says, you know, unfortunately, you don't always listen, and because you don't always listen, you don't always take the mission seriously, these bat wraiths will, and they're going to go out, and they're going to be your backup. And Terry says, I don't need backup. If you didn't need it, I don't need it. I'm going to catch Hush, and then you can have the suit back. He goes back out, and he talks to Tim Drake, who, coincidentally enough, this is in continuity with what happened in the animated series and the animated movie, where Tim Drake is actually having to go see a psychiatrist and has to have something called a 24-hour body cam so that he doesn't turn back into the Joker, which is kind of interesting. As he's talking to Tim Drake, Tim Drake gives him the address of someone else who might know the identity of Bruce Wayne. As Terry tries to go find this person, he runs into Catwoman, and Catwoman plants a tracker on him that Hush wants him to put on. We then find out that the person that Terry is going to go see is none other than Dick Grayson. Then we see Catwoman talking to Hush and saying, why well, planted that tracker? It's there. Hush says, okay, well, I am going to kill you because I don't trust you. That's the end of Batman Beyond number three. issue begins where the last one ended with Michael Lane's face on fire due to holy water. And while you're letting that thought sink into you, the crusader behind him, the guy who looks like Jesus Christ except for a, a cross burned onto his face that takes away his nose, says, I will pray for you, sinner. And it looks like he's going to behead them, but no, he just knocks them out for reasons which are unexplained. While we get the title page and informed that this issue was written by David Hine and art by Gillian March, Michael Lane, a.k.a. Azrael, 
sees a number of heads as he begins to hallucinate with who I can ascertain is St. Dumas saying that, you know, this, the order of St. Dumas will always be with him and they will never abandon him. All the people who've gone before him into the great beyond will always be by his side. As he comes to, uh, both Father Day and the Crusader are gone, but somehow he deducts that they have gone to the, the underground sewer. The, the priest who had been shot up with arrows is still alive, but Crusader manages to fix that by poking him back into the, the sewer's water so he can drown. He also mentions that he is a sodomite because, you know, the church doesn't like gay people. And while he's explaining that to Father Day, who already knows about that, his, his stomach bursts with a thousand bees and says, as he looks into the camera, don't you know the story of St. Ambrose and the bees? Everyone does, right? 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 And as he exposes the story of St. Ambrose and the bees, he clips open the, the Father Day's eyes with some hatches. Think of, think of uh, Clockwork Orange. And he's going to torture him until he can learn the secret of the great secret which is this the storyline is about. But before he can before he can learn anything, Azrael tracks him down and they begin to do battle once again. Azrael manages to snip snip his sword in two, but ho oh, ho, watch out! For this crusader can all of a sudden fly. Not only can he fly, but he also has the power of pyrokinesis and hurls a fireball at him. Azrael dodges the fire, the crusader flees, and when he flees all the bees die, saving Father Day from bee death. Azrael says, okay, well, you got to tell me, what is this big secret about? So Father Day admits by asking him, do you know what the most sacred holy relic of the Catholic Church is? Everyone knows it's the fragments of the Holy Cross, Father. Ho, ho, but what of the Shroud of Turin, the cloth that was used to wrap the body of Jesus during the th- three days he was dead? Lane says, well, the Church never really formally recognized that as an authentic relic of the Church. Father Day re- uh, says that the only reason they, the Church didn't recognize that as authentic of the church was because the tests saying that it was authentic were falsified because as everyone knows if if it were true then that means that there was blood on the shroud and if there was blood on the shroud that means that the blood was still running when jesus was buried and what that means is that he was still alive and what that means is that jesus never died on the cross hence there was no resurrection hence he was just a man and not the son of god kind of getting a little ticked off at this this blasphemy michael lane Jacks up the, the priest saying, you can't tell it to me. That means our whole faith is a lie, and you're a priest. While well, he says, oh, son, son, you, you got you to gotta get your head straight. I mean, we are everywhere. We've infiltrated, we've infiltrated every major religion in the world. We are trying to seek the truth. After contemplating killing the guy for just this ridiculous outrage, Azrael decides to track down the crusader and put it into this once and for all. Cutting through the crusader, he arrives in Somalia where he sees a man in Khalid who is obviously an, a member of the order who knows about the, this great secret of the shroud. He threatens him with, with stoning him and, and burying him. And while the guy says, do your worst, I'm not going to talk, he says, oh, wait a second. You're married, aren't you? That wasn't recognized by the order of the church. So he decides off the cuff to bury his wife in sand. And while she's screaming, Khalid says he'll tell him what he wants. Before Azrael and the priest decide to track him down and says, before we go, we, get, we have one more thing left to do. Bury this guy and get him out of the cesspool, for God's sake. Referring to the priest who was drowned at the end of the issue. And while Michael Lane takes, him, takes his body out of the water, he says, as God is my witness, Crusader, I will cut up your lying heart. And that is the end of Azrael number 11. Birds of Prey issue four, which uh, this cuts between uh, three different plot lines going back and forth. And some of the cuts are very, very quick, only a panel or two. So instead of doing my recap from start to finish, I'm just going to go from plot line to plot line to make things easier. 
the Lady Blackhawk, Huntress, and Hawk and Dove, with the dying Hawk and the injured Penguin, aren't doing too well. Penguin wakes up, heals a little bit, gets his wits about them, and starts attacking the girls. Apparently, he was working with the White Canary all along, and she promised him those files from the first issue, the ones that were going to get released with everybody's secret identity. And they were saying, um, you idiot, she's never going to give you those files. She's gonna, She was going to kill you. That's why you were that gravely injured. She's like, oh, she was only supposed to skin me. It was an accident. Hawk is still dying, and he says, don't make them bring me back to life this time, because apparently he's still having problems with his resurrection from around Brightest Day. Finally, Dove just flat out injures Penguin, punches him in the face, leading to some congratulations from Huntress, because she didn't think that Dove could be that brutal. She's like, wow, I didn't think you were going to fit in here. And despite the fact that the cops are chasing them, they're going to go to the hospital. Oracle isn't doing so well. As of last issue, she was captured by Creo and Savant, who turned out to be the ones that were supplying White Canary with all this secret identity information. And they've taken her to a dam. And it looks like, from all intents and purposes, they're going to throw Oracle off. But instead, it looks like Savant brought Oracle there to watch him commit suicide. And Oracle reveals that she just wanted to talk with them because she said, come on, guys, did you really think that I was going to let you take me here without a fight? Which makes a lot of sense because that was one of my problems with last issue, how easily Oracle was kidnapped. Savan starts to jump, but Oracle flings from her wheelchair, which she didn't have last issue when they captured her, kind of weird, and grabs onto him from the edge of the dam. Creo is just standing there, not doing anything to help. Savan says that he can't take it anymore, all the torture that happened to him from Calculator's men because they wanted to get to Oracle. That's why he's doing all this. He feels like he was betrayed, but now he forgives Barbara. He forgives her, but he set all this stuff in motion, and now he's killing himself. It's kind of weird. Finally, and Creo's refusing to help both of them because Oracle obviously can't hang on to him forever on the edge of this dam. Creo finally wises up and says that he'll break his promise not to stop Savant from committing suicide and pulls them both up. Oracle says to Savant after he yells at Creo for this, you idiot, he loves you, he wanted to help you. And then the main plot line of White Canary and Black Canary. Black Canary has figured out who the White Canary is. But we're not told outright, but we do see a flashback to the birth of White Canary. Her father only wanted boys because he was training them as like ninjas or something. So when the baby was born a girl, he ordered the baby to be taken to the sea and drowned. But while the midwife was taking the baby to the sea to be drowned, lightning struck the midwife and didn't harm the baby at all, leading her father to believe, oh, I guess this baby has some fight in her. Maybe she'll be of some use after all. It turns out that years ago, Black Canary had fought her brothers, who were these, like, unbelievable warriors, and beat them. And it brought such shame to the family that White Canary went and killed all her brothers. So that's her personal stake in fighting Black Canary because she feels that her family's been shamed. It's not like this is Black Canary's long-lost sister or anything like that or Lady Shiva or Cassandra Kane like some people suspected. The fight gets really brutal until Black Canary finally uses her canary cry to get her. And then she says that now the kid gloves are off. She's going to kill her if she doesn't help her. She says that she wants the White Canary to clear her name and to say who killed that terrorist from the kidnapping plot. And then White Canary says it was Lady Shiva. She helped. And if you help me, and you're going to help me kill her. And that's the cliffhanger for the end of Birds of Prey issue four. What? A problem, sir? It's not here. What's not here, sir? You know what I'm talking about. The entrance to the Batcave. Why is it sealed up? Batcave? I'm sorry, I don't... That's right, Alfred. The Batcave. 
It's a big hole in the ground with a big car in it that's all black. Remember? Son, you sound upset. Is something the matter? No. No, it's impossible. No. It can't be you. It can't be. Batman Streets of Gotham, number 15. Now, this issue was supposed to be written by Paul Dini, but as I mentioned earlier, it, in fact, wasn't. Um, and that was because, for some reason, this issue was taken over by the entire co-feature, which in this one became the main feature. Everyone's looking for Two-Face, as we saw in the end of the last co-feature in the last issue. Two-Face is actually on a train with two people, two of his men and the, uh, the rat that gave him up to the FBI. They're trying to blend in, but it's not really working very well. What ends up happening is they get off the train, the FBI storms the train, Two-Face gets in an argument with his two henchmen about how they should just kill this rat because he's not really doing anything by dragging him around. Two-Face says, well, who's in charge here? Am I in charge or are you in charge? They say, you're really going to have this argument with the only people who are keeping you alive? Two-Face proceeds to whip him in the face with a gun, tells him to grab the rat, open up the door, and we're going to have this doctor fix this guy up. The doctor is pretty much can't do anything because the, the guy's dead. He's just dead. And out of nowhere, one of his uh, henchmen stabs Two-Face. And then they repeatedly, the two henchmen, repeatedly stab Two-Face over and over and over again and leave his body laying, bleeding out on the concrete. And then they pick his body up and chuck him off the bridge into the river. They, the two henchmen then go to a bar, get drunk, pretend like it never happened. They've got Two-Face's coin, and then we cut to two fishermen who are out at a lake, and they get something hooked, and it turns out what they've got hooked is none other than Two-Face. That is Streets of Gotham number 15. Let's get into our review wrap-up. Start off with Batgirl. Well, I'm glad that Batgirl and Detective Gage pointed out cliche upon cliche in the story because boy were there some cliches here oh the dead villain robbing the bank wasn't after the money he just wanted the picture of his dead wife wow what a deep emotional twist that i have not seen 90 times before in a comic book and then wait a second whenever someone mentions a dead wife detective gage gets a little emotional Ooh, i wonder what his secret might be will we ever find out why detective gage gets emotional when dead wives are mentioned otherwise this was an enjoyable done one batman story it was cool uh i think i remember an interview with brian q miller where he says that he didn't even know like which version of clayface was used at the time so we had to be told about basil carlisle i gave them a hard time about the squee thing when i was doing the recap but you know what it's a book about what a 19 year old girl 18 19 year old girl so certain things like that are i guess to be expected it was fun seeing how proxy wasn't just going the step in the oracle shoes how like she couldn't do everything that oracle could do like you know at the end she's told all right uh, proxy call someone to clean up clayface and she's like uh is there a phone book for that and she couldn't do the bank lockdown so if they're going to do an Oracle Jr. from that perspective, I might be able to get behind that. I'm glad that we saw some more stuff with Gotham U, even if it was ridiculous, mesmerizing ping pong. This was an enjoyable book, but, a, you know, it had its moments that made me laugh. But all in all, I mean, the cliches of the, oh, no, there's two Batgirls fighting. Which one should we shoot? And, oh, deeper meaning and dead wives. It's going to give it a three and a half out of five batterings. 
it was a decent done in one issue. I don't really have any complaints other than, you know, there was some unnecessary things like, I don't know, some of the banter between Proxy and Batgirl seems a little unnecessary as well as the beginning of the issue with the overabundance of trying to get across that the ping pong was really that intense. I just think sometimes Brian K. Miller is exaggerating things that he really doesn't need to. But, I mean, I don't think it was a bad issue. Sometimes he needs to just dial back some things. That being said, I'm just going to give it three out of five batterings. Yeah, I'm, I'm in line with you guys. It was a, a fun, nice, simple issue. You know, down in one. But um, I feel that there was there was more that could have been done with it. I think Josh has said before that a lot of the Batgirl issues in the past have reminded him of, like, the simpler Chuck Dixon issues of the 90s. Um, and I feel like if that's what the book sort of is aping, sort of that tone with the Stephanie Brown, I think they, they could have done more with this simple bank robbery story. I mean, Clayface is randomly appearing, wants to get a picture, and randomly goes off to prison. I mean, there was time where you could, like, build up the proxy relationship more, or this detective gauge. I mean, they're obviously planting some seeds for some kind of trauma or dr- drama with this guy, but the main crux of the story was Clayface. But I felt that there was more they could have done with it. So I'll just give it a, uh, I'll give it a 3 out of 5. And Zayas also gave it a 3 out of 5 batterings on the website. They'll give Batgirl number 13 3 out of 5 batterings. Moving into Batman Beyond. Now this issue kind of went all over the place. It picked up where the last one was, but then we had... Okay, so we start off with Batman, Hush, and Calendar Man. Calendar Man dies. Then we see Terry fighting with Bruce Wayne. Then we see Terry in his mom's apartment with his brother. Then we see him with Dana. Then we see him with Bruce Wayne again. Then we see him with Tim Drake. We see him with Dick Grayson. We see him with Catwoman. Catwoman with Hush. It just seemed like there was a lot going on in this issue. That's not a bad thing. I just think there was a lot going on. But it was done in a way that worked for me. So no complaints except for the art. I It seemed like the art was more rushed than in the past two issues. I don't know why, but it's the same artist doing the same stuff as the last two issues, but it seems like it's a different thing, like something happened, as if he was rushed. So I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings. I enjoyed this a little more. It was a little interesting them bringing in Dick Grayson, who was never seen in Batman Beyond proper, and a little confusing bringing in Tim Drake, because this isn't taking place in animated series continuity, you know, we're getting Tommy Elliot and stuff, like, this is some sort of possible future from regular DC continuity, but yet Tim Drake was still Jokerized, so it's like a cross between regular DC and DCU, but Barbara's crippled. Oh, well, I guess I'll just try and enjoy the story as it is without worrying about those things, but that did confuse me a little bit. But I do like how they're bringing in different elements of the Batman Beyond world, you know, like we're still doing the whole thing with Catwoman, and, you know, we're bringing in other members of the Batman family seeing their Batman Beyond version, so I'm going to give this a 3 out of 5 batterings. I think I was a little more hung up on, like, the what what this is trying to imply where, when this takes place. I mean, hey, we saw Dick Grayson. I mean, I, I've actually read a couple of, like, fan fiction and webcomics where Batman Beyond Terry Marina says me Dick Grayson, so I wasn't really, like, shocked or anything. I was like, oh, there's Dick Also, like, I really, like, like what is this? Is this is this normal DCU? Is this an uh, animated version? But um, before epilogue of, of JLU? cartoon what's going on here uh, and there was there were some things i thought that you know i've seen before batman beyond which i didn't need to see in this comic like bruce and terry kind of yelling at each other 
and says, oh, well, I don't want you here. Well, you know, uh, I, I, oh, man, you always bounce me around. I felt a lot of this was kind of voice of potential in this series. I'm not sure what I would would have wanted for the series, but I just felt that, like, what I was getting wasn't, that wasn't serviceable enough. If it wasn't been here, done that, it was just kind of confusing. So I'll give it, like, a middle of the road, two and a half out of five. All right, and Steve J. Rogers gave it three out of five batterings on the website, so that's going to give Batman Beyond number three, three out of five batterings. Azrael. Looking at this as a, as a straight-up comic book, this still, like, fails epically on all counts. I mean, they're, they're telling a story about controversies over the... It's very much like, like a, a Da Vinci Code-esque kind of story where, you know, there's conspiracy and controversy within the Catholic Church. Ooh, and who knows... Guess what? Bum, bum, bum. Jesus was never really the son of God. For unless in the next issue it turns out that Father Day is, you know, just full of crap. I mean, this is just like a really, like, kind of tossed off kind of story. I mean, you have this stupid villain, you know, going around killing people. You have Azrael, you know, rightfully saying, you can't say that. That goes against the whole religion. But he decides to fight Crusader anyway. He doesn't stop to think, what am I doing? He doesn't reconsider his life's choice because his whole world's been upended. Value was like was what was like the word of the day with this thing. I mean, it was just shock value, shock. It was just like the last issue, shock value, shock value, shock value. Woman gets you know mutilated and killed. People get killed in horrible ways. You know, oh, get this guy out of the out of the, out of the river because he was killed because he was gay. Oh. I mean, it was really, it was like the stupidest, I don't know what else David Hine has done, but whether he's writing an Azrael comic book or a comic book in general, I just thought this was just really hollow and just bad on all accounts. I like the art a lot, but the art wasn't good enough to save the overall, the art didn't really add to my overall enjoyment, so this gets a 1 out of 5 for sure. I'm not sure I have to go into details about this book. The art was better than uh, past issues. Really, besides that, I mean, this story just seems like it's taking a lot of stances with religion that it really doesn't need to be doing. I mean, I get that the Azrael idea derives from religion in, in a way, but I just don't find it necessary for them to be going overtly overboard with this these references that they're making to religion. The problem is just it doesn't work, so don't bother. One out of five batterings. Yeah, I'm going to say one and a half out of five batterings. Hey, the art's an improvement. It doesn't hurt to look at the inside of the book as much as it used to. All the stories, kind of one big after the other. It's like the Adventures of the Da Vinci Code with Asriel in it or something. It doesn't really feel... I, I don't know. I mean, I could say it doesn't really feel like Asriel, but... This is the this is the new Azrael for better or for for so maybe that means I don't like Azrael one and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Azrael one out of five batterings as it deserves. Oh, yes. All right, so moving into our next book, Birds of Prey. I think that this was their best issue since coming back. It's like that penultimate part of the movie where all the action is taking place at once and it's cutting back from thing to thing. I think the weakest subplot was, you know, Penguin waking up and fight, you know, attempting to fight the girls, I mean, because it is the Penguin, you know? Yeah, Penguin's going to fight the Huntress and Hawk and Dove and Lady Blackhawk. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's the throwdown of the century. But it was still good, you know. It, I'm glad that they explained why Oracle let herself get carried away last issue, because if you heard the one the last comic cast, that was my complaint. I mean, the woman who took out all of those ninja assassins in Red Robin issue 12, couldn't, you know, let herself get carried away by two men. 
the motivation of Savant was a little confusing. He's like, ha I did this to destroy you, Oracle, but I forgive you. Now I will kill myself. No, Oracle, <laughs> don't save me. But, I mean, he's a screwed-up guy in the head. You get that point here, so such lapse in logic, or I guess to be a little bit expected. And you got to see Oracle's inner monologue, but, you know, that she was a little fearful and stuff. And one of my complaints would be, the reveal of White Canary. I'm glad that they didn't do something like make it dun-dun-dun, Alfred or whatever, or someone that we know. But the way that they presented this mystery, and aha, I know who White Canary is now at the end of last issue, and then we had to wait. You were expecting, like, a big payoff. And now it's just, oh, this person who we don't really know from this family that Black Canary beat up a while ago. Which would have been great for a story if they hadn't done these, you know three issues of lead up of over the mystery of white canary even so the action was great and this was like you know from page to page this was really suspenseful you know i was on the edge of my seat so you know good on gal simone good on ed bennis for the good arts i'm gonna give it four and a half out of five batterings thought this was a pretty good issue as well. I did think that the uh, Penguin story was a bit weak. I, in some ways, was kind of disappointed that White Canary wasn't somebody that we we all knew. Because, yes, as Josh said, they kind of built us up the last few issues, trying to make it seem as if, oh, 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 can you guess who this one is? Tune in next time. Yeah, unfortunately, it didn't matter if you tuned in next time, because you weren't going to figure out who it was, because it ends up being somebody who you didn't know to begin with. So, thanks for playing. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, four out of five batterings. I'm torn because I was really hoping it wasn't Cassandra Kane, And now that I know it's not, I'm like, well, that's good. Then I'm like, wait, wait, well, where is she now? But barring that, the issue, I thought, I agree, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not have much to add on. I enjoyed it for five veterans as well. Zayas gave Birds of Prey number four, four out of five batterings, which is going to give Birds of Prey number four, four out of five batterings. Moving into our last book, Batman Streets of Gotham number 15. Despite the fact that this wasn't written by Paul Dini, I... Well, wait, 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 what? Am I about to say it was good? No, I'm not. Uh, I'm, not say, I'm, I'm not about to say it was good at all. One thing that, that I was kind of looking forward to is, oh, okay, we're going to have a co-feature about Two-Face. That could be interesting, unless, of course, you make the story about Two-Face being chased by the FBI. Because how is that interesting? Let's follow a villain being chased by Batman, only he does nothing but run. Really? Is that really that interesting? No, it's not. It's really stupid. So why are we... So despite the fact that we were having this ridiculous story in a co-feature, Dini decides, I'm going to take a month off, so somebody's bright ideas. Hey, I got this awesome idea. Let's have the co-feature take over the main feature, and let's just have 32 pages of Two-Face co-feature. That's a great idea, except for the fact that it really just seemed like it was two different co-features mashed together, throwing some unnecessary uh, pages of art that didn't make any sense for the placement of the story. And what do you get? You get a book that I'm going to rate a half a battering out of five. Yeah, this felt like, um, oh boy, we need to fill some space with this co-feature. Let's uh, stretch it out a little bit. So it was a story that was supposed to be a few pages, I'm guessing, that would stretch out the whole issue. And it reads like it. 
Nobody reads the co-features anyway, except for the people who have to review them. And now the co-feature that nobody reads has taken over the entirety of the issue. So this almost went to a do-not-read pile. One out of five batterings. I was excited when I saw Chipface on the cover because in Dustin Wins Art, I had assumed that somehow the backup feature would bleed into like the main title or the main uh, story. I was lied to, again. To see a backup feature go from one issue as a backup issue to the entire story with, with Dini and Wynn nowhere in sight, it was really annoying. I mean, I'm a fan of Two-Face. I like Two-Face a lot. He's he's my uh, appropriately numbered second villain, Batman villain out of Joker, but this was just, yeah, like it was just him being chased by the cops. Who cares? Oh, and he gets like, you know, quote-unquote killed. Obviously, he doesn't get killed, but it's the, the, the drama is kind of false in that and because that's what the story hinged on I'll, I'm, I'll give this one and a half out of five batarangs saved only by the wonderful art Batman Streets of Gotham number 15 one out of five batarangs that is all of our books let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners there and welcome back to bat books for beginners i'm nick and if you haven't joined me before what i'll be doing today is looking through a particular batman trade paperback and giving my opinion of it today i'm going to be looking at batman the many deaths of the batman and this was covered in batman or the batman comic book series issues 433 through to 435 it was written by john byrne who has also worked on a variety of DC books over the years, and the art was provided by Jim Aparo, who's also worked on Batman, Detective Comics, and Legends of the Dark Knight series. And the book was published in 1989. Now, I'm not expecting this to be a very long BBFB, so let's crack on with it and have a look at this book. Batman is found unconscious and in a pretty bad state in an alley nailed to a fence. A stray police car finds him and takes him to a hospital but the doctors are unable to save him and Batman dies. Gordon hears the news and rushes to the Gotham morgue. He takes off the mask on the body which reveals to be a blonde man who definitely is not Bruce Wayne. Batman then start to die all over the city, confusing Commissioner Gordon and certainly Bruce Wayne. The men are usually strong athletes or intellectuals at the top of their game. Gordon meets one potential target and learns the man was sent a bat suit as an invite to a party. Whilst wearing the suit, the man dies through a through poisonous contact to his skin. The next target is Bruce Wayne who receives a bat suit in the mail. That would have dissolved to acid if he had put it on, killing him instantly. But luckily he wasn't wearing the suit when it happened. 
Bruce then realises there's a connection between all the killings. The victims are all old trainers of Bruce when he was trying to become Batman years ago. And one of them figured out that Bruce was the Batman and killed off the other trainers to save his own skin. In all honesty, I got quite confused with the end, so I may be wrong there, but that was my best guess. So, now on to my review. Now I thought the story was quite clever in its concepts involving the death of the many Batmen uh, across Gotham and for some reason them being assassinated but I didn't think it was too well executed in my opinion. The best part about this uh, story was the short first issue and it was nearly completely silent with all the story told through the artwork which was illustrated by Jim Aparo. Only two words are spoken in that issue and it's a great way to start it off it's very intriguing and I think from that point on it loses a bit of steam and left me unsatisfied but that first issue with just the one line being spoken which was get out um, I really enjoyed the simplicity and it really showed to me what can be conveyed with just art no speaking needed and I thought it was a fantastic issue and one I was very impressed with made me look forward to the rest of the story with the other two issues um, as we went into the second issue, uh, again, you know, it's quite simple and uh, well, the mystery was well built up. I thought it was a solid mystery. Uh, and I wasn't really expecting that from this book. I wasn't aware of the book before I read it and I was expecting something average. Uh, and it was impressing me. But then something bad happened. The book went extremely weak in the final issue. Everything was crammed into it and it was tough to digest and understand what was going on. Far too much dialogue, no payoff. I was really confused as to what Bruce and Gordon were talking about when it seemed like they were solving the mystery. I was completely lost. Apart from the fact it apparently involved some of Bruce's old trainers, I, I almost gave up, but struggled through with it to the end. I really felt like the writer wasn't sure what to do with this third issue, didn't have a clue how to tie it all up, which was such a shame. And one crazy bit at the end was Batman finally found the uh, culprit of all these murders and said to Gordon, this is the man, I'm afraid you won't be able to find any evidence about it, and he just wanders off. Okay, Batman, thanks a lot, um, we'll just take your word for it, shall we? Very odd, and really summarised what I felt about that last issue, no clue at all. I did enjoy the art, I thought the first issue, as I said, Gave put a lot of responsibility on the artist to make sure we, as the reader, knew what was going on, but he pulled it off excellently. And there were some iconic images and covers from all the dead Batmen. I thought that looked excellent. For instance, there's a shot with a morgue full of men in bat suits and, you know, a few Batmen that were dead. I thought it was very interesting, and it's such a shame that the writing let it all down. So, all in all, I'll be giving the book two out of five Batarangs. That's mostly for the first issue. Give this one a miss. So that was Batman, The Many Deaths of the Batman. Very quick. Might even possibly be the quickest BBFB I've done. 
Next time I'll be looking at Batman Blind Justice, which collects the detective issues 598 through to 600. And apparently Bruce Wayne discovers a series of murders linked to Wayne Tech in this tale that leaves him in a wheelchair. Sounds intriguing. So join me next time for Batman Blind Justice. Um, As I said, give Batman the many deaths of the Batman a miss. And hopefully next time we'll find something a bit more entertaining. I've been Nick, and now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. So that was Bad Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next book for next episode. Let's get into what we will be covering on the next podcast. As far as our comic reviews, we are going to be covering Batman number 702, Batman Robin number 14, Detective Comics number 868, Gotham City Sirens number 15, Superman Batman number 75, and as long as nothing else changes for the upcoming weeks, we will also be covering Batman Confidential number 48, as well as Red Hood Lost Days number 4, just about eight books to cover next time so it'll be a little bit longer we won't have the discussion but it should even out to be around the same length in podcast so that's everything for this podcast make sure you are checking out the website for all the daily news related to the comics as well as movies tv merchandise and video games all kinds of things happening all the time top of that you can email us up you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net you can join the forums talk with other bat fans You can leave us a review on iTunes, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, if you are interested in reviewing any books whatsoever, send us an email and let us know. We'll be happy to set you up with some books that we'd love you to review for the website. We still have plenty of books that are not being reviewed, so if you're interested, just let us know. So that's everything. This is Dustin. You got Josh. And this is Donovan. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. So long. Adios. Yeah, death in the family. The reason he wasn't there was because he was getting high or something. Yeah. He, 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 the the weak. he actually could have saved Jason, but, you know, he was too high or something. <laughs> I want to see somebody ask, like, Jerry Robinson or somebody who was around back then, so did you guys light up in the uh, in the offices? Just to see, because, like, some of that stuff, like, seriously, not so much, like, his stuff from when he was, like, really popular. But he was in the 40s. Yeah, he was in the 40s, but he was still around the offices in the 50s. So I've got to wonder, there's got to be somebody out there that was around in the 50s and be like, 
What the hell were you guys thinking when you did this? Speaking of Oracle, man, she's going to be beat if they're franchising Batman. Like, her phone's going to be ringing off the hook. She's going to have to talk to, like, a Batman in Africa dealing with poachers while she's talking to some <laughs> bat. While she's talking to, like, Night and Squire in England dealing with killer dinosaur versions with the brains of Queen Elizabeth or something. Hey, you know you said Huntress, right? When? Like, I think you meant to say Oracle. Oracle will be dealing with all these people, but you said Huntress. Okay. You said Huntress will be getting all these phone calls from people in Africa and blah, blah, blah. I thought it was Oracle. Like, uh, Somebody's going to come out of Batman 3 and be like, that was awesome, I'm going to get a comic, then go to the comic shop, and it's like, I want the newest Batman comic. Oh, well, which one? You have Batman Inc., which is about Batmans all around the world. The world. They got Bat. You got Batman: The Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah. It says Dark Knight. That's just like the movie. Whoa, what's this stuff going? Wait, why is Dick Grayson Batman in this? What? What's? I I thought he was Robin. No, Robin's the shotgun. Robin's his ten-year-old ninja son, who you could read about in Batman and Robin. Wait, there's three Batman. So <laughs> no, there's not three. There's also Batman: Streets of Gotham. There's also which is sometimes uh, written by Paul Dini. <laughs> he was on Batman the Animated Series. I want that book. Wait, why doesn't it say Paul Dini? Oh, well, he didn't write this issue. Come back in six months. Wait. Oh, wait, Red Robin. Is that Batman's ninja son? No, he's Batman's adopted son. He was the third Robin after the second one blew up, but that guy's red. Okay, I'm out. His name's Tim Drake. I mean, Tim Wayne. I mean, Tim Drake. I mean, Tim Wayne. <laughs> And then, the guy, and then he will never walk into a comic shop ever again. It's a little self-reference. No, 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 no.